Hey y'all, this is All Your Things Are Gone. This week, we have an interview with a woman from a very, uh, I don't know, interesting band that I, I, a band that I really never thought I would be into. Uh, a friend of mine took me to the show in the Middle East sometime, whenever it was, in the 90s, and uh, saw a band called British Light. This lady, Leah Callahan, was great doctor, uh, she has really good insights, and just what it was like to be a woman in the time, uh, in, in, in this scene, so, uh, I want to thank her, this is all your things are done. Hi, how you doing? This is Jay. Hi, Jay. Hey, how are you? Now, no, no, I'm pretty good, pretty good. Yep, I just want to make sure we're recording here. Sorry. Um, yeah, sure, take your time. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good. What have you been doing? What do you got? You said you got some uh, some errands to run. I don't want to keep you too long. No, no, don't worry about it. Plenty of time. All right, great. So, uh, I just wanted, you know... We, I want to do, uh, I'm sure you said you've listened to some of the episodes and, uh, yeah. it seems like you know what I'm doing here, uh, and, uh, gotten some pretty good response. And you're also famous. You're <laughs> famous. You're getting nominated for the Boston Music Award. That was, that's very cool. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't know. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> my, uh, my partner, uh, my partner, Justin, she, uh, texted me one day and said, uh, did you know that you were up for this? And I, I had no idea. Um, yeah. They don't even tell you. They don't be like, by the way, you're nominated. That's funny. It's weird. I, I wonder, I, I'd like to ask them how they found out or if they just did a random search and or someone said something or what, what it was. But uh, Yeah, it's probably a combination of all that. They heard about you and maybe, you know, sure they, um, other people have been talking about you too. So. Well, I'm thankful. I, I can't, I'm thankful that anybody listens at all, but uh, people are interested, so... Keep on doing it until till no one wants to listen anymore. So, uh, so I just want. Uh, where are you living now? I live about in, like an hour and a half west, southwest of Boston. Oh yeah. When did you move there? About ten years ago. Yeah. Were you living in the city beforehand? Um, yep, I lived in Alston, then I lived in Somerville for quite some time near Ported Square. I guess that's more Cambridge, but actually Somerville. Yep. Between um, near Somerville, Cambridge area. I lived there for quite some time. Um, where you, are you from in this area? I'm originally from the, uh, the, what would you call it? I was just at a conference and they described it as the inner city, which <laughs> I never really... <laughs> thought of it that way I'm like okay it's kind of it's like all the good all the none of the good things about living in a city and all the bad things I'm originally from Lowell okay uh, and I used to be embarrassed by it but I've gotten <laughs> to a point where I'm like hey whatever I'm not I'm not embarrassed to say it you know Lowell's had some tough so times uh, yeah I mean uh, I, I come from the the, the suburbs and I, I guess you know Lowell's a city but it's a suburb uh, 
people always used to ask me yeah. where I'm from, and I, I would be embarrassed to tell them, but no one ever heard of my right. city, so <laughs> it didn't matter. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's funny, because I, I mentioned it to a friend who was a musician many years ago. I was like, yeah, you're from there, too, because we went to the same high school. And she's like, I wasn't from there. I had to live there for a while, because my parents were working there. <laughs> <laughs> So people kind of have an attitude about it. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. I don't, I don't offer the information, but I'm not going to lie to people either. Yeah, I should always be proud of where you come from. I think, even if it is does come with some baggage, who cares? Even if you left there at a really young age and never went back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm proud to proud to be from Massachusetts, more or less. Yeah, it's a cool. I wouldn't, I wouldn't move for the world. I love, I love where I live. So. Yeah, me too. Um, so, well, when did you get into music? Were 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 your parents musicians, did, or was there music all around all the time when you were a kid? No, not at all. Um, my when I was like about three, my grandmother wanted to give me piano lessons and singing lessons. So um, I got a. I got like really inexpensive piano and singing lessons, but the the piano teacher was older. So here I am, like three, four, five years old, and I'm my piano teacher's in her seventies, <laughs> and I had a singing teacher who was in her seventies. So it was a really interesting experience. I think it further alienated me from the other kids because I was already weird to begin with. But um, yeah, the the teachers, <coughs> the singing teacher. Because of she was like late seventies, she would only teach me music written before nineteen thirty. Yep. So I mean, my whole frame of reference has, is so weird. It's like my whole musical background is completely bizarre. Um, she had been a uh, organist at the Immaculate Conception Church in Lowell, like way back thirties and forties. So it was this whole kind of really interesting, really old world vibe. When I used to go to her house, like she had little doilies and. She was just, you know, it was this really interesting earlier era. She had actually taught um, a very famous opera singer that came from Lowell, but she uh, thoroughly encouraged me not to go into music. She's like, there's no money in it. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, she was awesome, though. I mean, she was, you know, just she taught me, like, the basics of, um, you know, basically singing. I had this really pretty, like, high soprano voice. So I did a lot of, like, Latin church hymns. Um, hmm. Again, this really weird music. I try to talk to people about it, and I'm like, the best way to figure out what it was was to Google Nelson Eddy and Jeanette McDonald. Okay. Even though the stuff I sang, didn't, it wasn't their music. It was, like, kind of very high, so it was, like, operettas. So I used to sing a lot of this very dramatic, um, very kind of light pop opera, if you could call it that. So that was... Just what I I kind of really wanted to be an opera singer when I was young, but I mm-hmm. didn't really know how to you know where to go, how to do that. So that is a strange. That, that is a strange. Uh, I talked to someone else who is an opera singer or definitely trained to do that, and was, had aspirations. And I asked her how you get into it. Did, was it a, was that part of the problem? Like, did you did you have a, fi- a hard time finding avenues to get into that sort of thing? I mean, I think it would be really similar to any sort of music career. You read a lot of stories about if someone wants to get into music, that they have their parents to, like, literally drive them and like, mm-hmm. bring them to auditions. And I didn't really have that. I wasn't being pushed to do that. I was really being pushed 
to kind of just go and get a regular nine to five job and or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, one or two. Um, I tried to get into a couple of theater productions as a young girl and, you know, didn't make the cut. So right away it was just like, yeah, I don't think this is going to work out. <clears throat> I gave up pretty quickly. So, like, by age 15, I was already like, forget this, you know. Mm-hmm. So I quit singing the piano. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know? so. Yeah, it seems like piano is a, a, a foregone conclusion, with especially with opera singers. You have to learn, or traditionally you have to learn that instrument in order to understand yeah. music, or at least that's the way they paint it. Yeah, I loved it. I loved the actual piano lessons, because, like I said, my piano teacher was really cool. Um, the whole ritual of it, I would go to this little building in downtown Bowl, and I would get, like, um, a Coke for, like, I think it was, like, a quarter. I'm really dating myself. And, like, <laughs> do a quarter for the tip. And then I... So that was waiting for the ride home. But going up to his, like, uh, his um, studio, and... They had, well, that was still when they sold like soda shops back in, even in the 70s. And going up to a studio, had a, you know, these old comic books. So I'd be like, cool, like, it's really old. Everything's old, you know. And then yep. the music I played, I just enjoyed it. And every year you do a recital, you get an award, and you get to go on sort of like trip or go see a show with him. And I just do bonded with these people. Like, you know, here I am, four, five, six, seven years old. And, like, my best friends were in their 70s, you know, so it's definitely a strange, strange childhood. Uh, were you playing with, did you ever have the inclination to play any with anybody your age? There wasn't really anyone. I think at my school, um, the Catholic school, and it was just not cool to be a musician. I, I have all these answers for you because I've actually been thinking a lot about, like, the, the songwriting process and all this other stuff, doing some writing and it just it was very uncool to be a musician or sing um, or stand out in that way. Hmm. It was just cool to like um, you know even music wasn't a thing. I, I remember specifically in, in you know grade school going up to one of the girls I had Secret Santa. I'm like, can I what you know what band what music do you like? I want to buy you a cassette. And she was like, oh, I just listen to the radio. You know, so it was this <laughs> idea. Like I just think it was this very kind of small-minded mentality. People are, like, not into music that way. So they all get really into sports. I mean, the girls at my school were super into sports. The guys were. I was into it. I did sports. I did actually did cheerleading in junior high. I did some sports in junior high. But, you know, what I really loved was music. And there wasn't, there weren't really any peers um, at that time in my life that I could do music with. And then in high school, definitely not. No one did any. It was all girls. No one did music with the yeah, I went to a Catholic. I went to a Catholic all boys school for a couple of years yeah. myself. And uh, no, yeah. Where was that? Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. Shrewsbury. Yeah, it's like near Worcester. It was a uh, St. John's. I'm sure that St. John's played yeah. the, your school or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, well, um, the school was St. Uh, school was the, the junior high and or the grade. And then the girls' school is Academy of Notre Dame Kingsborough. So it was a big deal to go to, like, the boys' dances when they used to go to one. So. Yeah, they used to do that with the school, the, the sister school in, in Worcester. And they used to have, and it was like any sort of movie where the girls are on one side and boys are on the other side kind of thing. Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> I, never, I never went because I was probably much like you. I was like, kind of like, uh, this isn't for me. 
Uh, I'm not going to do this. Yeah. Um, well, I, I did okay. I remember one of those dances. There was this adorable boy, and I was, like, dancing with him all night. He danced the night. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be a priest. I'm like, figures. Like, my God, my <laughs> God, he's going to be a priest, you know? Yep, forget him. <laughs> <laughs> he's already done. Um, right, right. So, uh, it went, so when did the actual like get, getting into band stuff was that when you moved to the city when did you move to the city yeah no I, I went out to UMass Amherst I wanted to go to Berkeley College of Music and I actually got in oh yeah and I even did like a tape yeah I got in I got a, did a tape to try to get a scholarship because I was on my own at this point I left home at about 17 I'm like I've had enough of this so I sent in this tape trying to get the scholarship and the tape was a disaster because the organist that had played all the songs for me, you know, unfortunately she was getting on in years, so she made quite a few mistakes on the tape. So I'm, I'm sure they got the tape and they're like, all right, yeah, she's not getting us going. <laughs> so, so that didn't quite... <laughs> that's that's that terrible. Really yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the bills for the school, and it's, I mean, even back in 1987, it was a lot of money. And then I'm like, well, even if I were to get a loan, but then the housing involved it, for me... Like, people don't realize when you live in Lowell, like, Boston might as well be, you know, in Tokyo. It might as well be Tokyo. That's how far away it felt, like, financially and in so many other ways. So, um, at the time, I had a a friend, a high school teacher friend, and I had gotten um, the acceptance letter to UMass Amherst, and I threw it in the trash. So, she dug it out of the trash. She's like, you better go to college. And I'm like, I don't want to go to college. You know, I really wanted to be a musician, and I'm like, well, this, you know, this isn't great. But I pulled it out, and I'm like, yeah, I'll go to UMass. So um, I, I thought it was going to be all, like, cows and farms, and so <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to pick the most, the major that has absolutely nothing to do with anything that will ever get me a job. <laughs> <laughs> I picked, like, philosophy. I'm like, I don't want to go to school. I just had a bad attitude. I'm like, I don't even want to go there. But I ended up having a great time, met great friends, um, and met, um, that's how Trick and Shalite was founded. I met the, the, uh, I met the drummer there at UMass. So he and I were really close, um, dated for a couple years. We actually we were super into art and film and, you know, music. We went to a ton of shows together. I, I didn't really have the inclination to actually be in a band, mm-hmm. but it was more like just discovering all this stuff with him. He had this amazing... Um, knowledge and taste in music, which totally opened my mind. Pretty much everything I've listened to, I definitely listen to like more less mainstream music than most of my peers, most of the people I met. But it was really kind of like punk, new wave. He really turned me on to like avant-garde jazz, um, noise, even some prog rock. I mean, he got me into a lot of stuff. So that was um, a lot of discovery there. You know, we'd go to film classes, we'd sit through five-hour German film classes, art classes. Um, we had a broken-down car we used to drive to the knitting factory in New York. Oh, shit. Good. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. My, I saw um, saw Cecil Taylor play. Oh, wow. Damn. saw Casper Brotsman. What year was, what year was that? Cecil Taylor. Probably 88, 89. Damn. That's crazy. Was, I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah, and then Hampshire College. So, you know, here I go to UMass, which wasn't that expensive back then. I was able to pay for it with a couple loans and what have you. But um, so we're going to Hampshire College, and they have these amazing shows for free. Fred Frith, John Thorne, 
um, negative land. I mean, there's so many shows. So I think every other day we were either at a show or, you know, um, at a club or something. I mean, we were just like soaking up music. So it was pretty amazing. Yeah, that's, that's a dream yeah, for sure. Education. Damn. It was cool. And again, I wouldn't have really been into all this music if it hadn't been for Dave Nelson. He, he was he was a super brilliant guy. He was like one of the first Whoa. kids in the early eighties to get computers. He, he's an artist, but he's like has an engineer's brain. It's funny when you interviewed um, Ale from Spore. Mm-hmm. That, am I saying his name correctly? Yep. And it's so cool. I love his science stories, but <laughs> my experience, like a lot of the people that I come into contact with, for better or for worse, um, are super smart and they have you know scientists and. You find that a lot with um, musicians. They often have this really incredible, like, creativity, um, you know, science skills, things like that. I know, and I think a lot of them, including Ale, tend to, they, they, they have this brilliant mind for math or whatever or whatever it is, and yeah. they, they choose to not pursue it at all in the right, end. Right. You know, it's like, uh, Dave, yeah. go ahead. Dave was like that, too. I think he looked at, because I was at UMass with him, and, he took one look at what being an engineer would be, and it wasn't really what he wanted to do. You know, politically, it wasn't the direction that he wanted to go in. He found the department very conservative, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, that's the an two in- of us were pretty rebellious. That's an interesting <laughs> take back then, for sure. Uh, you know, yeah. whatever you're doing, either whether it be you know a weapons design or whatever the hell it is, that right. back in, right. even back then to have that that idea that yeah, I don't want to get involved in the Weapon, you know, the military complex or yeah. whatever. It's uh, We were taking over product- buildings uh, at UMass, and yeah. we were always up to something. I was a maniac running around campus. If I wasn't, like, doing some radical feminist thing, I was, like, running around just, like, you know, all this energy. So, know, I mean, it, it, like I said, it's, it sounds like a dream. I, you know, I think when anybody in our sort of realm thinks about college and uh, is expecting this eye-open experience and gets there and sometimes it's not exactly what they <laughs> what yeah. they what they think it's going to be it sounds like you were living it the the real you know I, getting exposed to all this stuff opposite. yeah i'm like oh this is going to suck it's going to be a bunch of like i mean it wasn't into nature back then it was a beautiful area now i can appreciate it but back then i wanted to be in the city you know mm-hmm. but i remember my first day of school um i had a roommate and I turn over and I go, oh, God, help me. She had posted um, a huge picture of a Hartford Whalers. Here I'm dating myself again. Hartford Whalers poster, like, towards sailing from the college dorm posters. Yep, yep. And a large beer mug. I'm like, well, this is going to be wonderful. I'm like, yeah. you've got to be kidding me. But then I look over at the bed, and there's a cassette lying on the bed. And it says, blasting concept. I'm like, holy shit. I found the one other girl, like, there's like 20,000 people at UMass, and I found the one girl who owns this cassette. So I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so we became, like, really close really quickly, and so it was awesome. Like, we have this affinity. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure there were a few more people at UMass that, you know, I certainly met a few over the years that had kind of more, quote-unquote, back then it was called alternative things, mm-hmm. but it was super important to me as a young person. Like, music was everything to me. So the fact that my roommate had good taste was really cool that's yeah another thing that never happens you never get along with your roommate either (laughs) sounds like you got you got dealt a good hand (laughs) i guess so after all the crap that i went through college was pretty good i gotta admit yeah Yeah. i was pretty 
I was pretty lost. When college finished, I immediately dived into going to grad school because I'm like, I have no idea what to do with myself. Well, I you... just spent four years going to like five-hour German films watching like Cecil Taylor. I haven't, <laughs> I don't really know what to do, you know. Well, you said you, you went there for the the least possible major that would get you hired anywhere. What were you doing? Um, mo- mostly taking over buildings and, you know, starting sending buses to Washington, D.C. And, but I did. I studied really hard when I was doing work. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I wasn't really very corporate-minded, so I started, um, actually ended up a women's studies major, which they now call gender studies, and ended up graduate school um, studying, I don't even know, like social and political economy, um, women's wow. studies, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Women's studies actually has a 100% acceptance rate at graduate school. So, as much as people kind of back then made fun of the major, it's actually people who are in it are really into it. They study really hard. So, you know, I did grad school, and then I, I think there was so much going on in my mind. I just was so, like, I don't want to say to the left, but I was so into this whole political thing that I was imploding. I, I just was not into, like, everyone. I think I, went, I probably wanted to be an artist. I wanted to do something, and I was just not... I was pretty bored out of my mind going to classes with these people are just sitting there really calmly. I was like, I need to do something else. So I, I kind of spent a lot of time in bars in Northampton. There's like 12 bars. <laughs> yep. Spent a lot of time drinking way too much. There's very little good music out there, believe it or not, even though like Sonic was there for a while and stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that, that, from there. that area got a good rap. I mean, it was uh, at one point it, <laughs> yeah. I, in that era was it was going to be the next Seattle or the next Chapel Hill There's or whatever. No music there, yeah, <laughs> absolutely no music. So I, I kind of followed poor Dave. Like at this point, he was my ex-boyfriend. I followed him to Boston and kind of spent about six months not really knowing what to do with myself. And then, like, somehow Turkish Delight started. Dave had actually was playing with this guy, Daryl, who was his high school friend, and the bass player, Carl, who was several years older than us. He had a bunch of connections on the music scene. They had a girl, um, friend, acquaintance of mine, friend of mine, singing for a while. Like, I think, like, one or two rehearsals, she didn't really want to do it. It didn't work out. So then I came in, and it was like, okay, this this works, so that's how that all started. Yeah, I, what were you aiming for? It, it's a very, obviously, as I'm sure you know, very eclectic and uh, was unlike a lot of whatever was going on in Boston at the time. Because I, I mean, I remember seeing y'all at uh, Middle East and just being uh, blown away just because it was and like nothing I'd ever heard. So, oh, thank you. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and that's why I, one of the reasons I mean, I'm going through a lot of bands and trying to find people, and I'm so happy that you got in contact with me. Um, but you're one of the bands that I remember making a, uh, a big splash. You know, making having a big influence on a lot of people. So, um, what 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 what, what yeah. were you, what were you listening to? What where did the sound come from? Is it, it it's yeah, you know, well, well, you definitely have that kind of. I think Dave turned Daryl on to a lot of the more experimental styles of music that Dave and I were listening to. Obviously, I had the, like, British New Wave, New Wave 80s. I mean, that was what I listened to religiously in high school, so bringing all that. Um, you know, um, you know, a lot of art was influenced to me, a lot of film was influenced to me. I was really into um, Antonin Artaud. I was reading a lot of his stuff. I was 
kind of all over the place. And then you had Daryl, again, being exposed to some of the stuff. Daryl was into a lot of, he was into Sid Barrett. He was into a bunch of Robert Hitchcock, but he liked, you know, some of the same music we like. I think Carl was a little bit older than us, the bass player. He brought a lot of music. He'd been in some pretty, actually, I think, I don't know if this is something I'm remembering wrong, but I believe he played with some of the people from Mazzy Star when they were old before, when it was some people from Opal. He oh, with, damn. I believe he played with someone named Sylvia Jankoza back in the early 80s. Hmm. He was out in L.A. He was, you know, so he had this really cool background. He was, you know, kind of in that scene in L.A. He knew a lot of people. He did, um, he liked everything from... I think Black Sabbath, metal, um, but he, his love was really like the early '80s. I would say punk, post-punk. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he brought that. Um, I'm sure I'm saying all the bands wrong. He's he's a DJ, so he's really he's a music. He knows music really well. He's been a DJ for a long time at WZBC. So that too. I mean that. Oh, so all the music I was listening to in college radio too in the '90s that influenced me a lot. Bands like the Paintings. I love that female-fronted, but really dark, really scary. And back then, you didn't really know music. Now you can Google people and find out, oh, they went to, you know, such and such college and they look really normal. Back then, you'd get an album and all you had was this blurry image of someone. And then you'd hear what you thought were the lyrics and you'd be like, wow. And so I always feel like that experience of music was so much cooler back in the day when you <laughs> saw the blurry photograph of someone and it had this mystique. You know, and you I, really... Yeah, I agree. I, I, I honestly, when I when I saw y'all back then, it was um, you know when I went to the Middle East, I would go, I would show up at whatever the door is, and then stay till the end. And I was going to see one band, but then there'd be three other bands on the you know it was four band bill back then, and yeah. uh, you'd stay for the whole show, and you you would see bands that you didn't hear, you didn't know, you didn't hear, and then you're obviously. That's the discovery. You're, you're immediately interested in w- what they're doing. What do they? You know, what records do they have? Do they have a seven inch or whatever it is, and that that right. you know that that kind of um, discovery is lost a lot now. I think. Um, I I think so. I definitely have the same. I love to just go. In. I get to know them really well. So a lot of the times, I don't think I ever actually had to pay to get in. And yeah. I was in a ZBC, and they were always giving away free tickets. So. And that was actually one of the reasons I remember Dave said we started the band so we could have somewhere we didn't have to pay because we were out there playing, <laughs> we got free food. That was really weird, you know. And I think a lot of it, there was definitely, like, there was definitely, like, some snobbery, some competition, some kind of dirty looks. I mean, I hate to say it, but it wasn't all happy. You know, when I got into the scene, there were a lot of people that weren't super friendly to me. And it was funny because I think a lot of them were... You know, some of them were trust fund kids. Some of them were doing heroin. I don't even know. Some of them were just totally normal people. I don't know. But, you know, we walked in. We were like SpongeBob and Pratt Patrick. We're like, hey, guys. We're all, like, goofy. And then people would just be like, oh, who the fuck let them in? You know, I feel like they're really were outsiders. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a class thing. I mean, I certainly didn't know the right people. There was that whole wave in the 90s of all those people getting signed. And I was... Like, I had no clue. Right now, I'm looking back at bands. I'm like, I had no idea that band that I used to play with, the TTs or whatever, was on a major label. But I think, by the same token, that really made us very original. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that I was kind of saved from. First of all, we were probably pretty clueless of what was going on around us. We would show up, and the sound person would look at us like, what the hell? I thought, 
you know, that person thought he'd seen it all. We have, like, cans and Tinker Toys, and, you know, I had Noonie, and I had this keyboard that I got out of the trash that made, like, three sounds, and they'd be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and then you'd have a bunch of people kind of study standing there with their arms folded. And then this girl that I made friends with, I used to work in Porter, Porter Square, this mm-hmm. block. It was funny because I think a lot of musicians, I just read a couple years ago, the guitarist from the Arcade Fire used to work in that block, but it was like oh, right at the tail end of when I was working there. Yeah, it was um, a store called Vintage, etc. There were all these like indie rockers like working at this block in Porter Square, and I was one of them. And so the girl next door to me, her name was Jody. One day I was like, hey, my band's playing. She was like, you're in a band? I couldn't believe it because, you know, I'm very shy and all that. And she was, like, really into the Grateful Dead, but she also liked really loud, obnoxious female front of bands, like L7, stuff like that. So she shows up to the show, and she would come to every show. She'd bring maybe three or four friends. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she brought 20 friends with her. So I'd have these this wall of, like, dancing, like, young women dressed in wild costumes. So it was, like, impossible. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't get that. That kept me going. Mm-hmm. I never got that kind of indifferent glare from the audience that you often get. And then we started just drawing more and more to a point where clubs would actually have us play because we would draw, and then they could have their touring bands play, you know, and they knew there'd be people there. Yeah. It was like, we didn't really benefit from that. They kind of, in a way, we were kind of used, you know, <laughs> that way, but... But, I mean, that was, yeah, like you said, though, I think back then there were more opportunities, you know, for bands to, now it's harder. Although I think it was always hard. You always expected to, like, bring people out. I remember I used to do hand-done postcards, and I'd send them to everyone I knew. And sometimes I could send out, like, ten, and I'd get, like, a hundred people to come out. So, But we worked really hard to get people to come out. It was, like, full-time, it was a full-time job. It was, it was a lot of work. That is a lot of work. Damn, I I, I can't imagine even doing that uh, today. That honestly, that might that that might make more of an impact than sending out some sort of Facebook garbage. Uh, come to my show or whatever. That hand drawing or doing a, doing post postcards would be great. Uh, and I, I we did a lot. And you probably know we did our um, first single it was all hand done. We had a hundred different um, covers. We had a big party and invited people to come and make some. I do remember. I do remember the cover. I don't remember that in particular, but I, I, I bunch, yeah. a bunch of my friends. And the, the, the guy who really got me into y'all was, uh, uh, you know, had that seven inch and probably was there more than likely because he's the kind of guy that was going to be there. Right. You know, so, um, and I totally understand the the hands cross thing, and that that is. Purely, I don't know purely, but it it is definitely a Boston thing. They are people are looking to be impressed, I guess. Oh, New York was sad too. Yeah, New York could be pretty nasty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how long how long were you guys uh, doing it for? We did it for I would say I've funny because I heard someone on your show saying like a band average of five years. For me, it's two and a half exactly. Yeah, because I've been in three three or four bands. <laughs> I lose track, but um. Yeah, um, we were about two and a half years, and um, I think we were, Dave and I really wanted to tour more. We wanted to just get in the the truck and just tour, and Carl was really into his job. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, he didn't want to quit his job every time he needed to go on tour, and I could care less. I, I didn't care about my job, and Dave didn't care about his job. We had, like, you know, part-time retail jobs, and Daryl 
a lot. I, I don't really know exactly what he was going through, but I know that he was, like, um, always kind of fighting. Um, like, I remember, and he may not even remember this, but I remember him saying to us, that, you know, in so many words, mainstream music really sucks. So mm-hmm. that means that if Turkish Delight ever did well or gets big, that means we suck. <laughs> so I'm like, well, you know what? Sometimes you get what you ask for. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we didn't do well. You know, we, you know, we had, it would be like, I feel like my music career was like a series of what ifs, you know. Like, people would review the albums I've done. They'd be like, well, if they had a bigger recording budget, mm-hmm. Twitch some label person came out, well, if they had two cellos, you know, or, well, if I knew the right people to get a record deal, or if I didn't have to work, you know, and then I could focus on my music, or if the band hadn't broken up, you know. So it was always like, those what if. There was always a caveat. Yeah, so towards the end, um, where I I had um, like a party to thank the label, because... these kids in Arch Enemy were putting out an album for us. I can't think of what it was. It's kind of random. And um, so there was a party that I booked at, you know, at a house, and Daryl just didn't show up. And then one day he just didn't show up for rehearsal. So, you know, it was kind of a bummer. I mean, yeah, he just was unhappy. He was just unhappy in general. And I don't, I'll never, I mean, I guess I could ask him. I don't know if it was just I mean, I think he was unhappy with music. I don't. He maybe he, he seemed like he was really unhappy whenever we did well. Hmm. So, you know, that's a hard thing to deal with for me, you know, because I, I mean, the whole point of being a musician, you want to keep playing out. You want to, you that's, know. That's totally my view as well. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to I play, so. Yeah, and it, it was really, it really broke my heart because I was like, you know, I'd gotten into the band in this really strange way. So it was like, I felt like we had this connection. You know, those guys, it was like I was in love with all of them, not like in a romantic way, but they were my muses. You know, they were everything to me. So when the band broke up, like we couldn't have had a replacement. That was just that four connection that I had with every with the three of them. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, I have no idea what to do. And I was really lucky because a band literally fell into my lap, but if it hadn't, I don't think I could have gone on. I was just so, I was just so devastated. Mm. I, my heart was just torn open. And what happened was, um, I, I got a letter from a cello player in, um, who lived in Pennsylvania. He was in high school. And he was coming up to Tufts University, and he wanted to do music with Church Delight. And then um, a guy... <laughs> you, finally, you finally got your cello player? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I got this... Um, I got... Um, I'd gotten in contact. I played with a band called Jack Frosting, um, Tom Devaney, who had been in a bunch of Boston bands, and in Bulkhead, which had gotten, like, national and maybe, you know, outside U.S. Um, they'd done really well. They were on shimmy disc for a while. So we started a band, and I remember Tom took one look at Gordon, who was, like, 18 years old, and, you know, Tom was, like, in his early 30s, and he was like, this is weird, you know? So it was just, it was interesting, you know, to start a band mm-hmm. with a cello and a guitar, but that clicked immediately. But, I mean, that literally fell into my lap. So I really lucked out with that. I feel like the two of those guys were kind of waiting, you know, to see what was going to happen. Maybe they would play with Turkish Delight. Maybe I would no longer be in Turkish Delight. You know, so it's cool. <laughs> like, I literally hung up the phone with Turkish Delight and gone on the phone with Beatrix, which was great. 
Um, but again, it was it was a really tough time. Um, and it's funny because we went. I had some labeling for Chick-fil-A down in Atlanta. We've done really well in certain pockets of the country. Like Atlanta has WRAS. They have this huge station. Um, this huge reach. It was like WBCN at the time. Uh, you know what it was called? We went and played a show at a place called Dottie's, and it was like crazy sold out. It was like almost, it was just as good as playing a Boston show. People were dancing. We were guests, we had a guest appearance on the radio show. Um, <laughs> the other people there were Chibo Mato and Sean Lennon. Sean Lennon was totally nice to me. So, you know, we <laughs> had these like a little pockets of celebrities. We'd go somewhere, and then the next show would literally be nobody there, or that we'd be heckled or something. So, Whoa. it was tough and to be honest if if I'd gotten this opportunity to get if the band had stayed together maybe we could have done something but honestly I've, I've heard horror stories of bands who do get signed and they can't handle it for whatever reason oh yeah absolutely you know, the shows I mean you're playing with people who hate your guts you know you, you, you might get tour with another band like the whole story of um I've been in touch with this great band through I Heart Noise um they do Pylon. Pylon. I was always a huge fan of Pylon, and I got in touch now. Um, but I went started doing some research on that band, and they were opening for like, I think it was U2, but they were opening for some really big bands, and they all looked, this was in the early 80s, they all looked at each other and said, this sucks, we don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> it wasn't fun, you know? Yeah. Probably wasn't paying the bills either. But anyway, I mean, you know, the, the what if, but by the same token, you know, it is what it, it was. It was fun, and I'm super proud of everything I did. So I kind of didn't really do anything for a while. I kind of gave it up and um, for about 14 years, all music. And then um, it, Carl was playing shows at the Middle East with Carl. So Carl's in a new band. I should give that plus. Sure. It's called Gull Boy. And the Spore, uh, there's a Spore connection because Christian Negret who was in Spore, he yep. plays, uh, Carl Keane plays with Christian. So oh, cool. A nice segue from your other uh, podcast there. But, um, so he's in Gullboy. Daryl has been doing music non-stop. He's never stopped. He has a bunch of albums out. You can find, his name is Daryl Blood. Mm-hmm. D-A-R-R-Y-L. Oh, my God, I can't stop. <laughs> D-A-R-R-Y-L Blood. At, um, he's on Bandcamp, he's at um, iTunes, he's on Spotify to find stuff. But, um, so I've totally lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, so Carl was playing at the Middle East with one of his bands and got introduced to a guy named Thor, who um, is, he's a musician, he's known as Petri Dish, he has a little label. He also works for, with iHeart Noise, this really small local label. And, um, they said they were interested in putting out, reissuing, this was in 2017, the first Turkish Delight album, which they actually thought it was the only Turkish Delight album. It's really funny. So they're like, <laughs> we want to reissue your album. And so we all kind of, kind of started talking to each other. We're like, cool, let's do it. Yeah. So then there was all this interest. Then we had the, the reunion show. But I wouldn't have done all that if it weren't for, you know, people really, really interested in the band suddenly. And now, from all that interest, we have a label, a small label in the UK called the Reckless Yes Records, mm-hmm. and they want to reissue our music digital, but also on CD. So it'll be like a two-CD set, which is going to be coming out, I believe, November 22nd. Oh, great. They're doing this huge media campaign. So I'm like, you know, I'm hopeful that Turkish Delight could pop, 
possibly. We talked about playing England, but I think at this point nobody knows who we are over there. <laughs> but I'm hoping if this does well, <laughs> that we could do like a mini tour of the UK in 2020. Great. Um, you know, we would need someone to pay for it because we all, you know, the band just doesn't have the money to, to do like a vanity tour and just go play on our own. Yeah. Um, but I'm also interested in maybe with all this interest, I've been doing songwriting again, so I'm going to see if the guys want to put out an album. We had a couple people ask, would you guys think about putting an album out in 2020? So I'm, I haven't talked to the band about it, but I definitely would be interested in that. How different is it going to be? Holy hell. I mean, after how many years? Are you, are you, yeah. are you concerned? Are you ha- are you excited? What, what? No. No. Um, that's the thing. I would be have been more concerned that had I would actually be able to do create anything creative again because I kind of cut off that whole part of myself. I mm-hmm. haven't, to the point where I almost hated art music. Like, I couldn't even listen to music for a while. Um, but I... Just because um, you've been burned by it, you think? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I just got really, like, once I opened my mind to it, like, the idea started flooding in. So I was on my bike the other day, and, like, this three-part harmony song came into my head with another overlay of vocals. So I think there's definitely going to be tons of ideas. It won't be the same music because we all live in different parts of the country where it was, like, four of us got in a room and changed, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't always the way we wrote anyway. Yeah. I would come up with ideas, or Daryl, or Dave, or... I mean, we would come up with melodies or rhythms or, or bass lines or, you know, something. And I think that that, you know, I definitely think it's, I think if the guys have time, I'm not concerned about the creative element because I could see it was there when we all got together and played. But even the guy at the label in the UK, Peter Darrington, he was like, I can't believe, he saw some video, he's like, I can't believe you guys didn't play for 25 years. <laughs> but I think we all just rehearsed at home. Like, I, I was very determined a fool of myself, and I'm like, if anybody screws up, I want to make sure I know these songs backwards and forwards. So I worked really hard before that show to to be perfect. Yeah, how was it? Was it was it fulfilling? Was it? Did you have the same experience you had back in the day? No, I mean, those experiences are always different. There were good nights and bad nights. Mm-hmm. Um, it was exhausting because I I didn't really want to do the show because it's very stressful. Like the whole thing of I mean, it was hard enough to draw 25 years ago when we were 25, 26 years old, you know. Yep. But now it's like, you know, none of my, I don't really even have any friends in that area, you know, and, and nobody, everybody lives all over the country now. It's like, I think because of our I Heart Noise, they pestered everyone they knew like 20 times a day. <laughs> so <laughs> there were actually some new fans there and WZBC sponsored it, so they played. So I, mean, I think there was, if it weren't for the fact that a million other people were helping mm-hmm. to promote that show, like organically, yeah, you know, it was hard. Um, but anyway, yeah, playing together is never a problem. I enjoy playing with those guys; it was a lot of fun. All the other stuff I don't like, you know, the booking and the politics and the, the yeah, that that shit that shit sucks. But for a band like yeah. yours, especially coming back or re, you know doing a reunion, that those politics kind of fall to the wayside. I think a lot. No, um, no. Really? Well, I, I, That's surprising. I, I mean, uh, Tugboat yeah. Annie. Do you remember Tugboat Annie? Yeah. Yeah, they they played in, in Somerville, uh, maybe in February, I think, or March. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was sold out. It was sold out in. I mean, it was only one show, uh, and it, 
relatively small yeah. place, but you know, there were there were probably 50 people there to see them, and uh, it was very well received. And all the members of the, yeah. that band, like you know, were there from all the incarnations of it. And it was great, and I it, I didn't see any politics. Yeah. And, and I talked to another guy who books a lot, or who mm-hmm. did book a lot in Boston. He said, you know, they, people just wanted to see him again. So. It's it's well, it's they funny. Well, they been on a major label. They were a lot bigger than Church of Light. Yeah, I mean, but uh, even the yeah. well, they made. I don't even know if they were ever on a major. They might have had major yeah, major yeah. label, in, you know, interest, but never got there. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I'd have to Google it. But well, I mean, we had to fill a two hundred person club, which <laughs> I would have preferred to do the fifty person, but the guys really wanted to do the Middle East stuff. But before the whole Middle East stuff thing, was me trying to talk to booking agents, and I'm not the same person I was when I was younger. I was very unique. Now I'm kind of like, okay, well, this is what I want. You know, be honest with me and upfront about, you know, what you need from me. And people were like, I was like, well, could we open? Because we used to open for a lot of other bands. We mm-hmm. do a lot, you know. And I had a feeling we'd be able to, you know, draw like 150, 200 people. I had a feeling we could do that. And they were, they were like, oh, no, the touring brands bring their own bands. And that's not true, because, like, a week later, my acquaintance got an opening gig for a, tour, a very big touring band at the same club that the guy gave me that BS about. So, you know, I don't really have a lot of patience for people. And then another thing, you know, we reached out to friends that we supported over the years. Hey, you guys want to play with us? And everybody blew us off. Um, just, yeah, it was tough. And then also, like, what was the other thing? Um with the whole thing with the bands, yeah, we, I get the run around. Well, we might have to do one earlier. You might have to do this. I'm like, I'm just be straight with me. Yeah, I don't mind. Like, you know, so I booking sucks. Booking's terrible. Yeah, I I didn't like that, and I didn't want to do that. I was like, I don't want to be responsible for booking. So when I have other bands who have been in talk to me about doing a show, I'm like, yeah, I don't want any part of a booking a show. I have no patience for people. And also just, like, that whole disrespect towards the artist. Oh, another thing I was going to say. So I have another acquaintance whose band is doing really well, and they they told me, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm glad you got in touch with me that you're playing that night because the, this club just asked me to play the same night, and we're not going to do it. I'm like, oh, my God. It's like I know the club wow. do that to each other. They used to do that with us and Missile for us all the time. But, I mean, they, they need to make money. It's kind of like chill or be killed, you know, dodgy dog in the no, absolutely. little club world. And it's gotten, and it's gotten and worse. It a lot of politics. That shit's gotten worse, oh, for sure. sure. Well, because I, I cause rock yeah. music rock music just doesn't play like it used to, you know? No, and it was hard then, it's hard now. I mean, yeah, it, it wasn't fun. But anyway, so, so just the hopeful thing is, that <laughs> the happy <laughs> thing is that you know, so we have all this interest, and one thing I noticed with the iHeart Noise release, all these people in the UK, they'd never heard our stuff for the, you know, ever. They'd never heard of Turks Delight. People in New Zealand, people in Australia, people in the UK, people in Ireland, um, in England, really into it. So I have a feeling if we were to able to get the kind of exposure that we could potentially get there, that you know, again, that we could do pretty well. So. In the back of my mind, I have this idea that I'm going to be using one of my vacation weeks next year to <laughs> go to the UK. So Word? Yeah, I was just there. I was just there. That's what. Uh, I know you you got to go. I don't want to keep you too long. Do you want to talk about Betwixt or your your you know anything else that happened after that or? I mean, it's, it's up to you. If you, I don't have to go, but if you no, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I, yeah, absolutely. Like so, uh, you said that it happened pretty much right after that 
Betwixt? Yeah, like the same. Yeah, it was like I was literally because Tom is was friends friends with me, and I went to these huge house parties in Somerville. My my roommates and I would have like 250 people at our house, and I remember Tom was coming to a lot of the parties, and then. I, we just started talking about doing music, and then we had board, and we're like, okay, we just need a drummer. So we started kind of looking around for drummers, and Tom had a ton of, like, drummer friends, because he'd been in a bunch of bands, and he just knew everyone. So that was pretty easy. We had, we went to a couple drummers, because a lot of these drummers were really popular, and mm-hmm. drummers are hard to come by, so they'd end up on, you know, tours, national acts and stuff, so we would lose them. Oh, and then Dave came back for a while. Uh, when I said came back, with me, you know, as a, a as a musician, um, person working with me, Dave Nelson from Kirk Slate was in Detroit. I don't think he was, a, he wasn't in the original band, but he was with us for some time. So it was really cool to work with him again. It was like half of Turkish Delight, you know, with, mm-hmm. yeah. with Tom and Gordon, so that was fun. So did the music change when he was there? Was it, was it? I it, think so. I mean, it was always good. In my opinion, I always liked it. I mean, everybody's super creative in that band, too. Um, my friend, a guy I worked with music um, a few years ago when I was doing, like, solo and theater and stuff like that, he was like, he, he described me as Miles Davis, not because of my musical talent, but the way that I would find, you know, interesting musicians and put them together. He was really impressed. That's a pretty damn good compliment. The way that I brought <laughs> I was pretty cool. I mean, the guy... Was really good at compliments, but he was wasn't always a nice guy in a little bit. So yeah, so I would I would bring <laughs> I would bring people together. So we have this like you know cello player who's eighteen, you know coming from Pennsylvania. Then Tom was in, in a bunch of bands. Um, me, and then you know Dave and, and various drummers that we worked with. Um, so yeah, I mean the music was. He had the classical element because Gordon was classically trained. Gordon was a big fan of indie rock, like Metallica. I mean, he had very diverse taste in music as well. So, I don't know. I mean, it was kind of very similar. In a way, the songwriting was similar. Mm-hmm. We were, and I think Tom was having fun because he was always bringing in the most random covers. Like, you know, <laughs> funk, like soul funk songs. And I mean, they... <laughs> like um, 70s classic rock songs. I think he was making, like, trying to make fun of his, you know, his past, which was, he loved to, like, make fun of classic rock, but the, I think he also enjoyed, like, totally shredding. Yeah, I was going to say, the, so. one of the, the best, <laughs> the best, the best things about doing those songs, I think, as a, as a band is, you know, taking them apart and doing them the way you want to do them, you know? Yeah. Did you? We totally spacing on all the covers we did, but there was one... But it was funny because we were at these little mini tours, and then we'd pull out, like, 70s rock cover, and then all the guys in the bars were like, well, this is cool, you know. Like, <laughs> um, but we actually did Black Sabbath with Turkish Delight. We did a song series where Boots, which I really enjoyed. Oh, like, that's a I great song. Kind of, Shit. I enjoyed doing that. Yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, it was fun. Um, that was another band that the guitarist left. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so how I found out how the band was over. I opened the Boston Phoenix and it said Beatrix Last Show. <laughs> That's how I found out. So I'm like, yeah, we What happened know. there? What did, did, did I wish I knew. <laughs> I don't know. So much. I mean, I, you know, nothing like like the same with Daryl, like nothing obvious. Yeah. We didn't have like a knockdown drag out fight or anything. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, well, what do I do now, you know? I mean, we've had, you know, again, some touring, some label interest, but it was always that what if. Like, well, if they 
heard the production value on their album, maybe they would have done this, you know, A, B, and C, you know, but whatever. But, um, so then it was totally like high and dry. And I was like, what do I do? And I wasn't really a marketable like musician to find bands because the bands I'd been in were so kind of so different. And it was, again, really hard for me. I, I, I put myself on a corner. How am I going to match the kind of bands I've been in? I have no idea. So that was tough. So I really, I really struggled to get a band. Would you, I mean, did you ever want to do something like more, I guess, marketable? I mean, for a lack of a better word. At that point, I was already over the hill in the music industry. Anyway, you know what I mean? I was in my late twenties already. Actually, when the band woke up, I was like twenty-nine. Ah, uh, you're still young. Under thirty, maybe I was thirty-one. <laughs> but no, so I mean, I mean, I certainly didn't think I was over the hill. But I feel like the music scene. I started to kind of feel that sense that I wasn't really welcome there anymore. It was definitely. This, is that just? Probably my you own think that's just a? Too. Is that just like a music scene overall? You think, or was that was that a female I thing? And I think just people have to realize that music scene is very different to in the 90s for women than it is now. Yeah. I think it's better. I'm not saying it's perfect, but my experience when I started doing a rock band again in the early 2000s with the band The Glass Head, the mid-2000s, I'm in these practice spaces and literally my head is turning. I'm like, you, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, yeah. Every other band had one or two women in it. Hmm. When I was in the practice spaces in Charlestown in 1995, I was a rarity. There weren't that many women. Maybe one in every 30 bands that I would see. I definitely think that's so true, for sure. I mean, I think probably, you know, Missile Thrush, Missile Thrush, obviously, Valerie uh, was, was yeah, you know, Swirlies. Uh, Swirlies, yeah, Shauna, and then uh, even after the, after her, um, Wicked Farley's, oh, yeah, obviously Mona, for sure. But, you know, uh, one thing I've been trying to do, you know, trying to make a point of is like, you know, trying to find as many women as I can do interviews just because like at the time it was such a men dominated thing. Oh, people have no idea. And I mean, guys would just walk up to you and say the most disgusting things. And you'd like, See, that's so disturbing like to me. You know, there. it's so just, it's so gross to me that, that. Oh, and even worse is the people who didn't do it to your face. There was a the whole thing with the noise boards. People would say really sexist stuff on there. And the thing that tells me is I would often see my friends and they wouldn't even stand up for me or the other women that pe- people were talking about. And that's how I started to see a lot of the classism, a lot of the ageism, really bad. I would say the late, so this is coming until like the late 90s, early 2000s, it started getting really kind of that pressure. Mm-hmm. And I had a really thin skin, so I was like feeling this pressure, like I'm too old to be even doing music. You know, and, and I, I think the thing... So I started, I mean, I, I got it for women. Like, I remember I, the, I had a birthday. I was with the band I was playing with at the time. And I said, oh, it's my 30th birthday. And these girls looked at me. They're like, oh, yeah, right. I'm like, yeah, it really is my 30th birthday. Do you want to see my ID? You know? <laughs> so, I mean, I think there was a sense. But by the same token, I'd go to jobs, and they thought I was a lot younger than I was. But, you know, I think there was a sense in the music industry because I'd been in a bunch of bands, and some of the bands I went with with older people sometimes, so the people just assumed. I don't know. It was just weird. It was it was very tough. It was very tough to be a woman. People would turn your vocals down or off. You know, if you're a woman musician, they would turn your vocal your um, music down or completely off. And it wasn't a lot of camaraderie camaraderie among women either. Cause I feel like there was that there was a lot of competition. There's only so many crumbs. You know the the clubs were feeding us, you know, we, you know what I mean? I just felt like there was a ton of Oof. competition. It was 
very stressful. Yeah. So, but I, that's what I was like, I'm not doing bands anymore. I'm going to do this solo thing, and that was super fun. I did that with a guy named Sean Wayne Fordis, who's in Slav, and he does um, the Mardi Gras every year, and really cool, great. He's an ethnomusicologist. It's great. So he was a really cool person to, like, do this kind of really sim- like simple, pared-down solo record with, which I so financed. I promoted the hell out of it as much as I could. But, I, you know, it's tough because a lot of my peers could easily spend $10,000, and I'm not making this up, on a music video, whereas, I mean, that was all I had. Probably been, I probably spent $20,000 at that point in my Holy music career, and I'll never get that money back. No, yeah. A lot of debt, a lot of debt. And then I, I got PR, and then people were like, well, we can't promote her if she's on tour, if she's not on tour. It's like, well, how can I... Make money. If I had put some money into a tour, I wouldn't have been able to do PR. It's like yeah. I only had money for certain things. And then it was tough, too. My, my album wasn't great. Um, it wasn't easy to put in a box. Mm-hmm. My solo album, we Italian. So I remember contacting like PR agencies, like Girly Action. I'm like, okay, they, I think they're still on. They're like, they're pro women. They'll work for me. I mean, I don't care. My money's green, like anyone else. And I remember them saying, well, we don't know what to do with this. So it's funny because. You know, you would think innovation in music would make you, you know, people think it's cool. But I think because they didn't know what box to put me in, they're like, well, we can't help you with this. Mm-hmm. So I kind of ended up in this world music box, but then the world music people are like, well, you're not world music. So that whole thing was really tough. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. You know, I've spent so much money, so much time. Um, and kind of fell into another band, one story. Absolutely love doing that. Um, but again, all that stress, you know, like booking, doing all the work, all the business myself and everything, and then I'm out there, and I can't sleep, and I go to the doctor, and the doctor's like, well, you need to give up one thing. Like, well, I have my job, which, you know, keeps me out of a cardboard box, and then I have music. I guess you need music. You should have just said you need to give up music, so... Fuck. That was at the point where I'm like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. What were you, what were you, what were you doing at that time for work? Uh, 2007. Yeah. Um, just you know, just showing up in an office every day. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I got a job through, through um, a friend. In I had been, I started a small theater company, which oh, was cool. fun. But again, I could never get any grants. Like I, I reached out. It was ironic because I reached out to these organizations that were supposed to offer grants to women, for example. And I even knew one of the ones working there. She'd been in women's studies with me. It was really funny. And I, I'm on her website, and I call her. I call them. Well, we don't give grants. I'm like, but your website says you do. <laughs> She's like, no, we don't. So, yeah, it was like this weird, like, it was almost like that whole music industry thing. Like, well, who do you have to know? You know, where is this, you know, how are people getting these grants? Like, I'm being told there's no way you're going to be able to get a grant. So, you know, again, that whole, I tried to do music, I tried to do theater, so all of these things. Like, by, by 2007, I was done. I'm like, I don't, so yeah, I'm at this office job, which I got me through with friends who um, I've been in a theater company with. I started out at the front desk, absolutely no skills, and I learned really quickly. So within one year, my salary had doubled. And I'm like, well, I guess, you know, this, I'm showing up here every day. I might as well just focus on, on work. You know, because music, as hard as you try, you don't get anywhere. I couldn't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I think with work, you know, I have friends who kind of make, you know, give me a dirty, well, corporate America, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, 
helps, but it gave me a chance. <laughs> it yeah. allowed me to like make a living, put a roof over my head. So I ended up doing that, and I've been working full time, and you know, for off and on. It's a struggle. It's always looking for a job when you lose it. You're in a mad panic. Like I need a So I've been doing that for 13, 14 years, and 15 years. How long have I been doing that for? Yeah, 15. <laughs> so. But to a point where this whole music thing, um, it's been really refreshing and it's been kind of a fun way to, I mean, the corporate thing has never been something that I was like, oh, I love what I do. Yeah. It was like, this, I'm lucky I was able to get this job and you know, work, because I know so many other people struggle. You know, it's not easy to get a job and certainly it's, you know, with my skill set, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm an avant-garde musician and a woman's studies major, you know. I'm going to tell you a lot of the things I did learn in school have actually been quite helpful to me. And, you know, even my music uh, experience is doing me a ton of confidence. So, yes, I'm now kind of like full circle and thinking about music again. So it's, it's, it's all good. 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 Uh, I mean, it sounds like you maybe found an even keel now for this stuff. Well, I mean, it, it won't be like a full time musician. I won't be able to go out and. Stuff. And you are right about the whole even keel thing. I never really, I was never one of those people who could be like corporate by day, indie rocker by night. I was always kind of all or nothing kind of person. I yeah. I was a musician, I was just like totally 100% into music, songwriting, thinking about it 24 hours a day. Now I kind of just sneak through. And so I like, I like I said, I'll be on my bike and like an idea comes up. Or, and I think a lot of that is that I'm kind of at a place of my job where I'm not like ter- you know, kind of stable, and I've been stable for four years, so that's my job, so I'm kind of like, you know, I have a little bit of time. Well, actually, what started this whole thing was, um, in 2017, I used to spend one night a week rehearsing for the band. So then when for Trick Story Band, so when that went away, I was like, well, what do I do with my Thursday nights now? I said, well, I'm going to do my life, that I was doing music. Yeah. But I was able to compartmentalize yeah, I think I think that is the common occurrence for a lot of people, it's, and even me myself. I was ne- I never had the you know in any band I've ever been in, never had the popularity that you did or uh, interest. But as you get older and uh, you kind of compartmentalize your your music a little bit and realize that it is for you you're doing it you know to for yourself and it, you don't really need or in my case you didn't i don't really need the success i guess um yeah. it's yeah. just it's just about playing and that you know and at at the the amount of time that you're spending on it it's 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 fulfilling for that for that amount of time yeah i mean i'll be honest i wish i had more time to spend on it sure but Sure. Yeah. Well, that's kind of why I do this. That's why I do this podcast. You know, I I do this because I do this to try to like satiate some of that music that I might not be getting somewhere else. You know, and uh, it it gets other people like you uh, to to get to talk about you know your experience in music and how it's affecting you now. And that and that's what this podcast turned into more or less less of a history and more about how people deal with it. You know a little bit older and a little bit more, uh, they have a, a different perspective on what they did and what it is to them now, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's very cool that you're doing this. I don't think many people are doing that. Like, 
you were saying uh, there's just not a lot out there. Like you go to Google, I'll think of a band I saw in the '90s, and I'm trying to talk yeah. about them, and I go to Google, and they're not there. I know, I know. I mean, even trying to find a picture of you is tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I did this whole thing with Instagram and Facebook. I I avoided all that for many years. I the guys really wanted to have Facebook for the show, so that's how they started using Facebook. So <laughs> I've been kind of crazy putting all the stuff out there. So I'm like, well, just in case I'm not around anymore, you know, I, I want to be represented the way that I want to represent myself. Mm-hmm. So I did a bunch of stuff on Instagram, like talking about, like, what inspired me. It's like my little life story on Instagram now. So that's been kind of fun. All right. Yeah, well, I mean... Go ahead. It's mostly a hole. I would definitely, for sure. I would. I wouldn't get involved with it too too deep. But uh, you know, it, on the surface, it for for things like this, I, I think that it's informative and people get to know. And, and there's a little bit of history there that people forget. And that's you know, again, why I do this thing. I don't want people to forget about your band or or any other band. Yeah. That uh, is a. Well, I've already listened to two podcasts. I'm definitely going to listen to more. And the fact that I was able to listen to the whole thing was pretty cool because usually I get bored very quickly. I'm like, oh, this is a good <laughs> But um, if anybody's interested in Turkish Delight music, we um, do have a band camp, but we are going to have that reissue. So if you just Google probably Reckless Yes, Reckless Yes and Turkish Delight, they did this wonderful write up about us. So it's, so it's this huge adjectives to describe the music. <laughs> it's pretty flattering. It's kind of like, kind of been fueling like the last couple months of, of this. So Great. And and uh, you know obviously when this com- when this comes out and I'll probably follow up with you. I'm not sure exactly when because I have like 25 that are waiting in the wings. Um, I might push. Yeah, I might push. I might push you up a little bit. But um, yeah. obviously all those links that you want to send me for the Instagram or the, the reviews or the Bandcamp, um, cool. I can I can post them all when when we post this. Yeah, and you know what? If you ever have time, you should interview uh, the other guys in terms of life, and you could maybe I'll actually learn the story of like. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, I I would be happy to interview any of them oh, for right. sure. Uh, you know, and yeah, I'm so awesome. glad that you did it. Some people are not really into doing it because they don't want to talk about this area of their life for whatever reason. So I'm oh, I'm very thankful awesome for you to me. for you to yeah. for you to do this. I appreciate it. No, I really I really appreciate it. I really thank you so much. Um, it's really nice of you to do this for us. It means a lot. Yeah, and I, and I I know there's so many bands I'm missing. So if you have any suggestions for you know, because I wasn't privy to everything. You know, uh, there must have been bands that you that you played with that you deserve, that I think you deserve. They deserve a. Uh, uh, an outlet, mm-hmm. and maybe this is it. I'm not sure. You know, so if you have any suggestions, well, I will. I will definitely rack my brain for. Um, you know, it's, I I saw that you um, interviewed Adam from Locke. Yes, they were very nice guys. I still listen to them music once in a while. Adam, um, Adam, and I have been friends for t- almost thirty years. Nice. Yeah. I haven't seen him probably in twenty years. Twitch <laughs> played a few times with Locke, but um, there's a bunch of like. I mean, yeah, I'll think of any other bands that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure I'll come up with some, some ideas. Great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, well, and thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. Uh, awesome. Have a great night. You too. Thank you. Bye.
down 